The Gist is sponsored by Stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage right from your desk using your own computer and printer. Right now, get a no-risk trial and a $110 bonus offer by going to Stamps.com and using the promo code THEGIST. It's Wednesday, June 23rd, 2015. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. So we've been pondering a Grexit. This is where Greece would exit the EU, can't pay back all its debt. Some people are saying it would hurt. A lot of people saying, eh, they could get by the Grexit. People like saying the Grexit came across this one today. Could be a Brexit. Britain could leave the EU. There's a referendum that's going to happen. And I've been thinking some countries, just linguistically, letters-wise, easier than others to exit the EU. For instance, here are the easy countries that could exit. The Lithu exit, the Latvia exit, the Slov exit, Sweden could have a Swexit. Now, the Czech Republic, would that be a Czechsit or a Czech Replexit? Republicsit. Czech Repubsit. I think it would be a Czechsit, right? And of course, to us, it would be the Germexit, but to the Germans, it would be a Deutschexit. Now, you got Belgium, right? So that would be the Belexit. But what if there were an internal riff within Belgium? What if there was a Waluexit? Or, on the other hand, there could be a Flamexit. Yeah, Belgium could stay, but there could still be a Flamexit. Now, Andorra is not in the EU, but I think if they were invited into the EU, they would definitely stay. It would be the Andorran door. That's the opposite of the exit. The Andor. The Andorran door. So why is there going to be a Brexit? I don't know. Possible Brexit. Well, here's the New York Times headline. Britain threatens EU exit over three little words in the treaty. And I looked it up and I could see what Britain is upset about because right there, the three words, there are little words, but the three words in the EU charter that the Brits are upset about are the words Queen Elizabeth smells. (laughs) No, I do not. I do not know, Andrew. You can't laugh. You I'm ruined, sorry. I'm sorry. You I ruined just, my take. How did you think of that? Like, where does that come you from? You ruined my take, Andrea. I'm sorry. I'm just so blown away by how you think of the ideas you think of. Like, combining country, the first letters of yeah. countries with the word exit. With the, I yeah, mean, that thing. And it's the, like and next level. The, the, ex, the extended riff. Yeah. No, your ideas are so funny. I don't even... Where do they come from? Well, Are you just like you. an endless river of not ideas? A river, actually. Do you do like meditation? Well, it's not. How a, often do you, you work know, out? Like, what's actually, your diet? How yeah. do you come up with what it's you come an up with? Question. And actually, Andrea, there is an answer to all of this. Really? Yes. There's a list of these ideas that I maintain every day. It is called the gist list. The gist list. The gist list. And there is a way for all gist listeners. If you so care to get in on the gist list, Slate editor Julia Turner interviewed me about the gist list, and we put that interview up for Slate Plus listeners. So here's, let me give you a little taste of that interview. We're going to get into the nitty-gritty of particular ideas, but first I'm going to read this as though it were a prose poem, just so people get a sense. The Food Babe Takeoff. Time Warner Comcast merger, if it's blocked, great, we get these two companies back. Barfing passcodes. The first of the two S's, actually three S's in passcodes is capitalized. Unclear if that has significance. <laughs> Arming the millicents. Uh, <laughs> with an apostrophe S. Uh, Jeb Bush guy. 
<laughs> he is. That's true. I stand by that. <laughs> is it that he is a guy or that he yeah, has a guy? He's a guy. All right. Pick another one on here. Pick one that became a segment. Tell us what right. what the phrase meant and how it became a segment. Where All it came right. from and how it turned into a show. All right. Remix Ignition. When did you recognize? You know, that didn't turn into a segment, but I just <laughs> wanted to say that. Wait, what? <laughs> when did you recognize what? I don't know. Uh... <laughs> So that's a little of that interview. You could try Slate Plus for free, and also I could give you $5 off Slate Plus. Here's what I'm going to do. I have a special code, but I'm going to lend it to all of you guys, and this gives you a discount and allows you to try this for free if you so care. And the code's in the show notes if you uh, downloaded this episode on a device. I'll just say them at the credits at the end, too. So check out Slate Plus. On the show today, the Jindal Swindle. He's running for president and makes for a good rhyme. But first, goop, shoop, de dupe. Celebrities, why do we care? Why do they care? The answer is actually pretty interesting. So here now is Timothy Caulfield. Now, we mentioned Timothy Caulfield once before on the show. It was when I was talking about Angelina Jolie. Vox quoted a guy named Tim Caulfield who wrote a book, Is Gwyneth Paltrow Wrong About Everything? So this guy earns a special place in my heart. So there you go, Tim. I'm predisposed to love you. That's a good way to start a conversation. I like that. Unless the answer is no. (laughs) Tell me the answer is not no. Well, it's not no, and she's definitely wrong about a lot. But I'm not going to say she's wrong about everything. She's right. got great style, right? She's great. Yeah, exactly. She's made some great acting choices. And, you know, I know that it was mocked, but her, uh, her breakup, which she described as a conscious uncoupling, there are worse ways to break up than to consciously uncouple. Yeah, but it just sort of fits with her whole gestalt, right? <laughs> yeah. I think that's where the mocking came from. Her gestalt, if you will. If it was anyone else that was consciously uncoupling, we probably, the abuse probably wouldn't have been as bad. Right, because she's, you know, she's seen as just very snooty, uh, having absolutely nothing in touch with the common person. And so I wonder, is that, do you think that that's a common mode of celebrity? On the one hand, sometimes we like relatable celebrities like Gwyneth Paltrow. On the other hand, sometimes we're drawn to the unattainable celebrity, the ice maiden. And I think that Gwyneth is part of that. It's mostly blonde women, but also Martha Stewart is some of that. And I even think uh, Diane Sawyer, the ABC News anchor, is something of that. Celebrities changed, you know, in the, in the past it was, you know, your Grace Kellys that were, uh, you know, they were like royalty. They were like from a different planet. Yep. Uh, and now you have people like Gwyneth who have a little bit of that, but you can follow them on Twitter. And they're tweeting about what they're having for breakfast, and it kind of feels like, you know, they're talking to me. So I think it's that combination of, you know, they're special, there's something unique about their lifestyle, and I can relate to them. I can talk to them. And it has kind of enhanced, I think, the power of celebrity culture over our lives. Right. And I should say the subtitle of the book, uh, the book titled is Gwyneth Paltrow Wrong About Everything, How the Famous Sell Us Elixirs of Health, Beauty, and Happiness. Actually, half the book is really about that. Half the book is 
either attacking or at least uh, interrogating an academic might say celebrity cures and the fact that we rely on celebrity to quote unquote raise awareness. Blech. And when I was quoting you the first time on this show, it was about Angelina Jolie, who I did give kudos to for being open about her decision to have a mastectomy. But as you pointed out, even though she said nothing wrong, it was pretty much misinterpreted by members of the public what her decision meant. Yeah, I find the Jolie phenomenon fascinating. And we've actually done empirical work on this ourselves, our institute. Um, she's a great example of the power of celebrity and how complicated the influence it has over our lives is. So she makes these two comments, these two editorials in the New York Times, I think they were both pretty darn thoughtful. Yes. You know, and she wasn't sort of saying, this is what you should do. She's just expressing her experience herself, right, and hoping that people can learn from that. So she did a great job, but then it takes off and it becomes the Jolie effect, right? She no longer has control over it. And there are studies that show that it's had a huge impact. It's increased uh, the utilization of double mastectomies. It's increased the utilization of, of of genetic testing. It did increase the uh, access to uh, relatively good websites about cancer and so people were, you know, information seeking. But it's not clear in the aggregate necessarily that it's had a positive effect, right? Did right. it increase anxiety about breast cancer? Did it really increase people's knowledge about breast cancer and their risk? Not necessarily. And we found that most of the, the media did not disclose the rarity of her situation. You know, she's in a relatively rare kind of risk situation, right? And that wasn't disclosed. So I think it's a great example, you know, because you have this really well-intentioned disclosure having this complex effect. Right. So three out of four Americans were aware of Angelina Jolie's double mastectomy, but fewer than 10% of respondents had the information necessary to accurately interpret her risk of developing cancer relative to a woman unaffected by the uh, BRCA gene mutation. And that's exactly what you're talking about. And you can't, well, you can't blame Angelina for this, or can you? Uh, you know, I don't think you, I don't think you can, because I do think that, you know, once again, she was very thoughtful. But it, it does raise the question about the role of celebrities in those kinds of situations. So there's some scholars that, who have argued that celebrities should not weigh into complicated health areas. You know, if they're going to try to help society and if they're going to try to say things that are going to help our health, they should stick to things that are clear. You know, wear a bike helmet, don't smoke, you know, wear your seatbelt. You know, those really clear health messages where there's no downside as opposed to weighing into complicated areas like uh, cancer screening, right? Because, as yeah. you know, the data is really iffy. You know, it's really unclear on a lot of that stuff. So, you know, do, do celebrities have a role there? I, I think that's an open question, and, and some people say, no, they don't. Now, I like a book that has many references to double-blind studies, but also a chapter titled Pamela Anderson's Breasts. Were you trying to uh, toe the line between appealing to the reader who wants uh, in-depth research and the one who wants, as I did, a chapter on Pamela Anderson's breasts? Uh, you know, to be honest with you, it's kind of exactly what I was trying <laughs> to do. It is a little bit of a Trojan horse, the book, um, in that, look, I do think celebrity culture has a huge impact, right? There's absolutely no doubt about it. And I hope I you know, make that case 
uh, in the book, but it's also an opportunity to talk about science, right, and to get this kind of discourse in unusual places, you know, in women's magazines and uh, on, uh, you know, fashion, uh, fashion shows and everything, right? So, so that, that was a little bit of the goal, but, but that, the, the, that chapter actually tries to make an important point about the influence of celebrity culture on body image and on decisions to get cosmetic surgery. Uh, and it's absolutely no doubt that celebrity culture that's the norm, right? It sets the norm. It's Kate Middleton's nose now, which is a fabulous nose, no doubt about Good it. Good nose. It's yeah. Jennifer Aniston's arms, you know, and for a long time, it was Pamela Anderson's breasts, right? And, and you know, for a, a, a moment in history, she was like the most famous person on planet Earth. But I, I think it's, it's an important point to make. You know, you think about it, but for those norms, people would not be going to doctors and altering their bodies semi-permanently. But that's true. But, you know, in human history, isn't there just a certain waist-to-hip ratio or whatever it is that men like in women and a certain jawline-to-brow ratio or whatever it is, that, or symmetry, facial symmetry, I think, that women like in men? So we've had all these tastes or fashions in what a, a ideal woman is supposed to look like from Kate Moss on one side to Anna Nicole Smith. But as these fashions come and go, and as fashions must, the hemline goes up, the hemline goes down. Human beings in general, what we actually like, are impervious to the fashions. The data on the value of beauty and the value of uh, aesthetics is incredible. You know, they call it the beauty premium, right? Yep. Um, We absolutely are hardwired to like good looks. Absolutely no doubt about it. The problem, of course, is that celebrity culture leverages all that, right? It leverages all those things to sell us things, to sell us gimmicks, whether it's about uh, exercise or diet, or it tweaks it like the Pamela Anderson's press uh, in order to suggest that this is what you need to do. And it's a very powerful biological force. And uh, unfortunately, uh, I think celebrity culture just makes its impact in our lives less than constructive. Speaking of hardwired, do you think that there's something in us that's hardwired to like or worship or be interested in people we've never met? be it the royals or tales of gods, or now we have celebrities. Yeah, yeah I think this is a really important point. You know, I, I have the opportunity to talk to the general public about this all the time, and you can tell people, you know, they find it fun and entertaining, but they think, ah, they don't impact me, right? They don't have an impact on me. Gwyneth does not influence what I want to eat. Uh, but there's fascinating research, some of it speculative, and some of it actually uh, good, solid empirical work that demonstrates that celebrities do have an impact on us, sort of unconsciously, and there's been speculation that we're evolutionary hardwired to follow celebrities. And, and the theory is for a period of time, for most of human history, you, there was a benefit to identifying individuals with prestige because they had prestige for some you know, good reason, right? You know, they were good at throwing a spear, good hunters. And so identifying that individual and being influenced by that individual was an advantage. But now we have Kim Kardashian, right? And being influenced by her isn't such an advantage, but we still have remnants of that tendency. And there's even speculation that it comes from grooming behavior, right? Because mm-hmm. every culture around the world loves gossip, and that's like a, that's a universal. So people have speculated that that comes from grooming behavior, and again, it's somewhat semi-hardwired. So for sure there are these tendencies in us, and then in addition to that, we have a tendency to always compare ourselves to other, you know, this, this social comparison phenomenon. For most of human history, once again, when you saw a human being, so you saw some, an image of a human being. That was a person right there. That person was actually in front of you, right? It was Bob in your village, and Bob's not that handsome. So you know what? You're doing all right. 
now you're comparing yourself to Brad Pitt and to the rest of the universe, and you don't do so well anymore. So all of those things come into play, and I think for sure are evidence that celebrity culture has an impact on our lives, even if we don't realize it does. I think the Global Village does make it seem like, you know, yes, Brad Pitt's our comparison. But longitudinally, do you think that it's gotten better or worse. I would think that most people would say, well, it's gotten worse because of the internet and because there's so much more media and there's so much more celebrity. But I think maybe I could make the case that things have gotten a little better. Two data points. One, I just talked with Kim Kardashian. I I was on a show and I interviewed her and I got to thinking about Kim Kardashian. And, you know, she's pretty much worshipped like a royal, but royals didn't do anything to warrant their worship. They were just born into it. At least Kim Kardashian, if you believe that there's any benefit fit to populism or vote. At least people decided to like Kim Kardashian. There are a lot of other people who want to be Kim Kardashian. They don't have whatever the it is of being Kim Kardashian. And there is a, a, a more intrinsic talent, if you want to call it that, to what Kim Kardashian does than to what a royal does. So that's data point one, and hold on to that. And data point two is, if you compare it to the days of the studio system, from what I read about that, things were terrible, and all these gay guys had to be closeted, and there were all these gossip rags that just really destroyed people's lives, and they were just one or two ways of being a celebrity, and it was all a huge stage-managed lie. So it's still somewhat of a lie, but, you know, maybe it's less doctrinaire, maybe there are more ways of being a celebrity and a greater variety of celebrities to offer. I put a lot on your plate. What do you think of that? So to, to the first data point, I think you have something there, but it, but it cuts both directions, right? You know, as we said before, for a long time, the ro- you know, no one really aspired to be royalty, right? Mm-hmm. They didn't think they could be royalty because royals were royalty and, and you are a serf. Uh, now, everyone thinks they can be Kim Kardashian and they want to be Kardashian exactly for the reasons that you identified. It seems obtainable. She's just around the cyber corner. I can tweet her today. I can tweet her right now as we're talking. And it seems more obtainable. So does that sort of enhance the allure of being a celebrity? Um, And also, does it enhance the power that celebrities have over us? And there's some research that says, yes, you know, the data is not great. It's hard to do really good, robust studies on this. But there's hint that that is, in fact, the case, that they have more power over us because are more influenced because of that. The other important thing is, why did we decide that we're going to follow Kim Kardashian? There seems to be, at a minimum, an association, a correlation between countries with low social mobility, you know, expensive education, low levels of happiness, and the worship of celebrities. So the UK and the United States have the lowest social mobility, the lowest levels of happiness, and the highest education costs in the OECD countries, right? And those are two, arguably, the two countries that have the greatest interest. And I know this is, I'm making huge leaps here, but it's at least an interesting talking point, thinking about these are the countries that worship celebrity. Is celebrity viewed as a magical way of obtaining social mobility? Uh, And and I I think that's somewhat problematic because people are wasting, are investing, I shouldn't say wasting, investing a huge amount of of resources in obtaining that. And I think that the the journey is an illusion and the goal is an illusion when, you know, there are so many other more constructive things that people can do. Right. And if you look at like the Scandinavian countries, greater social mobility, their celebrities are sometimes sports figures, but sports figures like speed skaters, their TV shows are shows like Borgen. They don't put their celebrities on that kind of pedestal. Absolutely. And I have 
have an anecdote for, for that. I, was in, right, I, finished, I finished the book, and I was in Iceland giving a talk. The host takes me out for dinner. Who's the most famous Icelandic person you can think of? Oh, Bjork. Right, Bjork. So he, he leans over the tiny restaurant, tiny, tiny restaurant, a couple tables restaurant in Reykjavik, and he leans over the table and says, are you a fan of Bjork? I was going to do an Icelandic accent, but I chickened out. Are you a fan of Bjork? And I go, yeah, I love her. She's sitting right next to you. And she was sitting, like I could touch her, right? Yeah. I'm a huge fan. She was not treated like a celebrity at all. And he says, that's the norm here. And it's the norm. You know, I've been to Sweden. I'm sure you've traveled too. And, and it, they definitely do have a different take. Now, these are massive generalizations. They have their stars, etc. But it, it is an interesting thing to think about as to why celebrity culture is so big in, in particular countries. Did Bjork Swan reach over and bite something off your plate? <laughs> she didn't, but of course she was dressed completely wacky. She had like some purple thing on. But everyone you know, treated her totally normally. It was really refreshing. Timothy Caulfield is the author of Is Gwyneth Paltrow Wrong About Everything? how the famous sell us elixirs of health, beauty, and happiness. Great to talk to you. Well, thank you very much. Getting your mailing and shipping done can seem like a no-win situation. Go to the post office, that takes time. Or you lease a postage meter, costs a lot of money. There's a lot of commitment involved. Hidden fees, I know a better way, stamps.com. With stamps.com, you can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package right from your desk using your own computer or printer. And you can get special discounts that you can't find at the post office because I've said this before. You can't find any discounts at the post office. Plus, stamps.com is more powerful than a postage meter at just a fraction of the cost. You could save up to 80% compared to that postage meter. So when I said a fraction of the cost, I apparently meant one-fifth. And you'll avoid those time-consuming trips to the post office. Right now, use my promo code, The Gist, for this special offer. It's a no-risk trial. It's a $110 bonus offer. It includes a digital scale and up to $55 in free postage. Don't wait. Go to Stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in the gist. That's Stamps.com. Enter the gist. And now the spiel, a blown save. Bobby Jindal, running for president, Rhodes Scholar, Brown University biology major. Seems like an impressive credential. Till you consider that the biology teachings may not have taken. He is a tepid evolutionist at best. Bobby Jindal is running for president. I keep coming up against and next to and thinking about Bobby Jindal in my life. I covered Katrina that hit New Orleans 10 years ago this August. In fact, Bobby Jindal was there. He's a really good congressman. He was everywhere. He had been in office for less than a year, but I remember him all around. I remember going to his offices in Baton Rouge, and he indeed pivoted off that moment to win the governorship. Smart guy, kind of a technocrat, fills his speeches with enough religiosity to connect to the Cajuns. And I said, this guy could be a star. Back then, it wouldn't have surprised me if in 2016 he would be running for president. It would have surprised me if he'd be doing so as such an extreme long shot with a pretty dicey record as a steward of his own state's economy. I'll get to that in a second. But first, let's talk about some of his strengths as a campaigner. 
can give a good speech, can cite a good biography as the son of immigrants, though really, who can't cite that biography? Everyone's dad drove a milk truck or ran a pool hall or was a small town preacher or arrested Manuel Noriega and presided over the fall of the Soviet Union. All right, some of our dads had more important milk trucks than others. So Bobby Jindal announced today he was running for president and he released some video of him and his family discussing the run. So I'm going to play this video now. Now here's the visual. The angle of what we're seeing, and this was posted to Facebook, it was like this fisheye lens, and it was mounted high up in behind the family in, in some sort of tree. So it doesn't seem as if the Jindal children actually realized they were being taped, which alone, I think, really endangers him cutting too much into the Rand Paul smash the security state vote. And also, it's kind of creepy to surreptitiously tape your own children, and that's also why the audio doesn't work that well. But what we do have a moment is his youngest son absolutely delivering. The kid's name is Slade. I found out it was not named after the English rock group Slade. But man, does Slade run, run away with this video when he provides a moment that any presidential aspirant dad would love. Now, things are going to change a little bit. So we're going to be busy, obviously, this year, as you're traveling. Maybe you'll get a chance if you behave to go back to Iowa. Would you like that? <laughs> you like Iowa, don't you? <laughs> okay, so here Slade begins vigorously nodding his head. He likes Iowa. Oh, thank God he likes Iowa. But what is it about Iowa? <laughs> what do you like? What do you remember about Iowa? Popcorn? It's popcorn. What else? Popcorn. <laughs> corn. He loves corn. Popcorn, any kind of corn. That's great. I mean, he could have answered, Dad, I love drinking a giant ethanol Slurpee every morning. But, you know, this really is the perfect answer if you want the creepy, surreptitiously recorded video taken from a camera hidden in a tree vote. What's not spot on as Slade's answer is Slade's dad's record in the statehouse. See, Jindal is one of those guys who has gotten in good with the Americans for Tax Reform. The political group led by Grover Norquist goes after any politician who accepts any tax ever for any reason. And that also includes not just levying any tax, but if you cancel a tax rebate, then you're also a taxer. If you are an American for tax reform guy, and my God, Jindal is such a guy, you can't eliminate any tax break ever for any reason, or else they hit you with this magical club. They call it the Club for Growth, but it's really a misnomer because what the Club for Growth does is it kind of shrinks you in the eyes of the Republican electorate, shrinks you into a sniveling, unelectable, bleeding heart liberal. They, the Club for Growth, the Americans for Tax Reform, they call you impure. They, in effect, issue a fatwa, a tax law against you and you're dead. But Louisiana doesn't have enough money, not nearly enough. There's a $1.6 billion shortfall. They got to find a way to fund it. So Jindal figured something out. He took a pledge. He said, I'm never going to raise any taxes. I'll never even cancel any tax rebates. But I'm going to invent this thing or endorse this thing called SAVE, Student Assessment for Valuable Education. I like valuable education. What it does is it gives students, college students in the state, a credit, a tax credit on paper, but just on paper, because it's a credit for a tax they were never going to be asked to be paid. They wouldn't have to pay it. So it's a credit for nothing. It benefits no one. It does one thing. It takes essentially a line item off the books in one place, the general fund, and it moves it to the spending that colleges have to do. 
A group of nonpartisan experts, the Public Affairs Research Council of Louisiana, says this. Save is a misuse of the tax system. It is being used merely to masquerade and promote tax increases. The end result is that the governor, by his standards, pretends to keep his tax pledge while the legislature gets to spend money. Joel Robodeau, the conservative Republican in charge of Louisiana's tax writing committee, hates the plan. So he and 10 other members of the legislature wrote to the guy who really matters, Washington, D.C. resident Grover Norquist, the American for tax reform guy. And he says, please, please, please release our governor from his no tax pledge. Louisiana Representative Chris Broadwater, described by the New Orleans Times-Picune as saves chief proponent in the legislature admitted that the bill backing save did nothing other than please jindal quote i am going to be embarrassed by this vote when i go home representative chris broadwater finally word came down from the americans for tax reform save would be allowed to save jindal would be allowed to let jindal save face This paper transfer of funds that never really existed and tax credits, it would allow him to keep his pledge of not raising taxes, but actually get some money into the Louisiana system. Here now, this is a stirring clarification. Listen to the words that I'm going to quote by Patrick Gleason of Americans for Tax Reform. Quote, changing a tax credit from refundable to non-refundable is a spending cut, not a tax increase. So put that on bumper stickers, emblazon it on t-shirts. Some people get elected with I like Ike, others with yes, we can. Jindal's going with changing a tax credit from refundable to non-refundable is a spending cut and add a tax increase. Oh yeah, and also popcorn, which is sort of like saying popcorn, but without the kernel of truth. Andrea Salenzi is the producer of The Gist. That is until she orchestrates a selexit. Joel Meyer is managing producer up until the time of a Meyer exit. And executive producer Andy Bowers, watch out for the, well, we call it a bowing out in his case. All right, an Andy exit. The Gist is on Facebook, facebook.com slash SlateGist. And our Twitter feed is also SlateGist. Here now is that code. If you want to check out the Gist list, hear my interview with Julia. Actually, it was the other way around. She interviewed me. It's slate.com slash Gist Plus. Go to slate.com slash Gist Plus. You get a free trial of all the gist and all the Slate Plus stuff. Thanks for listening.